Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast for Real Life Church Pullman. We exist to help people know and become like Jesus. Hey, uh, we are kicking off a new series that is called The Good Life. And the cool thing about this is everybody wants it, right? This is a universally uh, appealing topic because everybody wants the good life. I don't know anybody that rolls out of bed and goes, man, I hope my life just goes terrible in the coming days. Like, you know what would be awesome is if everything fell apart, my car broke down, my washer broke, and, you know, tor- terrible things happen. Like, nobody wants that. Everybody wants the good life. The challenge comes in really learning to discern, is the, the life that you're pursuing, is it the life that God has in store for you? Is it the good life God has planned, or is it some imposter? Is it some ulterior thing that's trying to pull you away. And so what's really cool and reaffirming for me as a believer, and I think for all of us, is that God's plan has always been to give us a good life. This is something that uh, a lot of times in Christians' uh, worlds, you start talking about, like, God wants you to have a good life, and people get all weird about it, like, oh, is he going to preach the prosperity gospel? Does that mean God wants you to be rich? And people get weird, right? And then, and then so then what happens is then in Christian leadership and preaching, people shy away from talking about the abundant, amazing, awesome, rich, good life that God wants for us because they're afraid people will take it the wrong way. So I'm just going to not be afraid of that, and I'm going to tell you the good life that God has in store for you. Since the very beginning, God has this awesome, amazing plan. If you go all the way back to Genesis and creation, God mapped out the most amazing design for us. He made creation, the heavens, the earth, the the seas, the lands, everything in them, uh, awesome birds of the air and fish in the sea. I don't know if you guys know it's almost fishing season. It's like really close. We're getting like the sun is coming out, which means it's going to be fun to fish here really soon. And God made all those fish for me to catch and enjoy because he's a good God. And so God made all these things, right? He made the seed bearing plants and, and all of this stuff and food for all of the animals and everything. And then in the midst of this awesome, amazing creation, God made people in his very own image and he placed them in creation. And when God looked at his perfect, amazing creation, he's all the way through, he kept saying, it was so good. It was so good. This is so good. And then when he saw people, he was like, Oh my gosh, this is very good. This is like, they, they are so amazing. And God was just blessed at this creation and the people that he had made and placed in this creation. And then on top of all that, God doesn't just like make this great plan and and lay people in it. He actually like gave out instructions. He, He gave some parameters. It wasn't like he waited like, hey, let's see if they prove themselves. And, and see if they're worthy of me granting them instructions. Like, did they work hard enough? Or did they earn it? None of that. He just like right out of the gate. He was like, oh, by the way, here's how we're going to start. And we see that and get reminded of some of God's good instructions in Genesis 1.28. It says, God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it, rain over the fish in the sea. That's my favorite part and the birds in the sky, and the animals that scurry along the ground. And I love this, because I don't know, if you're married, um, the be fruitful thing, it's fun. Like, God's plan was good. 
First service, there was one happy couple that giggled a lot when I said that. Is there no married people here? Y'all know what fruitful is, right? Okay. We might have to have a class. All right. (laughs) Or not. First, you got to get married. Good call. All right. So God gives these good instructions for people to enjoy and, and, and be blessed in this good creation. And I also love that God says that, that, that you don't have to earn or prove it to prove your worthiness or anything. Like God, right out of the gate, gives people authority and influence over everything. He's like, reign over these things. Be in charge of them. And on top of being in charge, he, he trusts them and empowers them. But on top of all that... He also gives them like resources to make sure they had what they needed to pull all this off. In verse 29, it says, God said, look, I've given you every seed-bearing plant through the earth, all the fruit trees um, for your food, and I've given you every green plant as food for the wild animals and the birds in the sky and the small animals that scurry along the ground, everything that has life, and that's what happened. So God gives them all of this abundance to supply for food and resources and, and the stuff they're in charge of ruling over, the birds and sea and fish and animals and everything that, that, that mankind is supposed to steward. Like he's like, Oh, I'll provide, I'll take care of feeding them. Right? Like everything is taken care of in God's good design and God's good plan. And God goes on to not only give them those kind of outlines for like, hey, here's everything's provided. Here's sort of what it looks like to live in the parameters. Like, there's the things you do. He also just gave them some simple instructions about what not to do. And I think a lot of us are familiar with this passage in Genesis 2.16. says, the Lord God warned him, you may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden except the tree of knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you're sure to die. So this is the plan. God made this great creation, put these amazing people in it and gave them everything that they needed to live this awesome, good life. But God's voice wasn't the only voice in the garden. And there was a different voice that was offering up a competing plan, a a, a competitive option, if you will. And this voice, right from the very beginning, from the very first time we hear the voice of God's enemy come on the scene, the very first thing we see is trying to call into question God's good plan. Right out of the gate, he approaches Eve and says, are you sure? Did did God say? And so the very first breath is to call into question God's good plan. Did, Did God really say you can't eat from any of the trees in the garden? Like, I mean, that doesn't sound very good. Right? Like that sounds like a so-so plan. What a mean God to put all of this goodness in front of you and just tempt you and you can't have it. Eve rightly corrects him, fortunately. It was like, no, 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 no. That wasn't exactly what happened. He, he, just, he said we could eat from all this stuff. We just can't have from this particular tree. That's what we're supposed to steer clear of. And, and like the perfect salesman that is like, ready with the with the rebuttal to the the answer to her uh, her no he comes back with this smooth smooth action i don't know if you guys ever been on a, a telemarketer phone call i've been on a lot of telemarketer calls where they were like this is not your career you're terrible at it like you're not that great at telemarketing and then you've been on the ones where you're like man it's like 
I don't even want this, and I don't want to be on the phone, and I want to hang up on you, but you, you're, I'm like, feel like you've like put a hook in my ear. You're like, I can't get rid of you because they're so good and fast and smooth at answering your questions and, and like coming back at stuff, and then they like lure you in. And I think probably all of us have experienced this situation where we sort of do what Eve did. And it's easy to look at this story and to go, oh, well, she, you know, she caved and what a big mistake she made. And, 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 you know, one minute she knew what was right. And the next thing minute she did what was wrong. And it seems sort of so simple and foolish when we can look back at it in hindsight. But I think if we look at our own lives, probably every one of us can think of times where there was something that we knew we didn't want or we shouldn't do. And then within hours or days, we find ourselves doing the thing we know wasn't the right thing. And we sort of go, wait a minute, how did I get over here? Like, I know better than that, right? Like, or, or I bought something that I didn't even want to buy, but somehow I got talked into it. And then you got the good old buyer's remorse, right? Where you're like, how, why did I spend money on that that I know I didn't have? It was a bad decision, right? Like, we all fall into that slippery slope, I think, at times. So, so she does. She eats the fruit. Adam eats the fruit. And because of this manipulation, this misguided pressure from the enemy, the woman and the man enter into this kind of new direction, this new path that is, that is less than God's good plan for their life. It's not the way God designed their life to go. And immediately, when they strayed from the good life that God had designed, immediately they started to suffer consequences that were not ideal. They were not fun. They were not great. Like right out of the gate, shame and embarrassment. They realized that they were naked and it was awkward and uncomfortable. And that was new. That wasn't something that was there before. I don't know if you've ever seen like a two-year-old that runs into the room when you've got company and they got no clothes on. Right, and they're just like, "Yay! Woo, look at me! I'm having so much fun!" And they want everybody's attention, and they're just like smiling and happy. And if you're their parent, you're like, "Oh my gosh! Like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, they're naked." And the two-year-old's like, "What's that?" Does not compute, right? Like, it's just like, how awesome would it be to be an adult like a two-year-old? <laughs> Correct. Good and bad. But they don't know, right? They're not ashamed. They don't, they don't have that embarrassment programmed in. And, like, and then the next thing that comes is fear. They hear God walking in the garden, and all of a sudden there's fear, and they're hiding from God. And that was not something that was there before. That wasn't a part of God's good life that he had designed for people. The problem that we face in the world that we live in today is that, is that there are so many competing options now. In the garden, there was God's good life and his design and his plan, and there was one voice offering up something alternative. We live in a world today where there is God's good life and God's good plan that is designed for us that is oftentimes smothered by tens of thousands, if not millions of alternative ways to live your life. Things to put your time and money and effort and interest and pursuits and passions into that are all lead you somewhere 
other than God's good life and God's good plan. And there are so many alternative voices out there vying to help, you know, to have you choose them. In the Bible, there's a guy who uh, basically was this example that we can look back on as a guy who tried at, at his point in, the, in history, he'd really tried, like, if there's God's good plan, he grew up knowing it. And he also realized that because he had great wealth, power, influence, wisdom, intelligence, resources, that there was all these other things vying for attention and vying for him to maybe pursue them, that they might make him feel good, feel more powerful, feel more fulfilled, have a better life, like things might just be different. And and his name was Solomon. At the time, the wisest man who had ever lived, and at the time, the most wealthy man on the planet. And and the book of Ecclesiastes is really sort of a, a roadmap of us getting to look back on his journey to try every competing option. Like chase down everything out there to see where it might lead if there was something that would be better than the good life that God had offered that he knew about. And he chased all those things down. And one of the the phrases that he uses through the book of Ecclesiastes is under the sun. And that basically means like on earth, here physically on earth. And so he goes through over and over and over again, like nothing good can be found under the sun, on the earth. He's talking about like a, it's like a poetic way of saying, you know, here in my life. And we see through Ecclesiastes that Solomon and then millions of people later discover that there's really no lasting long-term happiness and contentment that comes from anything apart from God's good life and God's good plan. There's flashes of joy and excitement, but they're not sustained. And so in Ecclesiastes, it goes like this in chapter 1, verse 1 says, there's word, these are the words of the teacher, King David's son, who ruled in Jerusalem. Everything is meaningless, says the teacher, completely meaningless. What do people get for all their hard work under the sun? And so just right out of the gate, like he's, he's opening up his story of here's how all have chased all these different things. He's like, what do you possibly get for all your hard work under the sun? It's all worthless. Like none of this means anything. Just sort of a discouraging start to your story if you're going to go, hey, I've been there, done that, tried everything, and here's where I want to tell you about my life's journey. It was all a big, giant waste of time. You're like, wow, tell me what you really think. He goes on to tell him a whole bunch. In verse uh, chapter 5, verse 13, he says, there's another serious problem I have seen under the sun. Hoarding riches harms the saver. Money is put into risky investments that turn sour and everything is lost. And in the end, there's nothing left to pass on to one's children. We all come to the end of our lives as naked and empty handed as on the day we were born. And we can't take our riches with us. And so he's just coming to grips with the fact that like all of this is just going to fall through your fingers like sand. It, 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 and, and when people try to hang on to it and, and hoard wealth and hoard savings, and it's all about me and mine, and how much can I get and how much can I keep, it only hurts the person that's trying to do all the saving. It does something to your heart and to your character that's not healthy, that's not good. And he goes on to talk about how like the, all the get-rich schemes of the day, whatever they were in his day, they, they end up, you pour your heart and soul into something and you pour your hope into something that's not God's design or not God's plan. And all of a sudden it turns sour and you've put your hope in something that now just disappoints. 
We live in a world that's full of this stuff. Right now, the, uh, the whole world, particularly the uh, millennials in, in, in specific fashion, I guess, are really enamored with Bitcoin and Dogcoin and, and uh, Robinhood app and pick all your stuff. There's like right now, there's probably thousands of things that are vying for you to choose them as the way to make you money. It is overwhelming the amount of options that are out there right now that are the way to get rich quick. In fact, there are people right now, and I guarantee you a bunch of you in here have already heard somebody try and talk you into, you need to get a hold of me because I can teach you how to turn your cell phone into an ATM. Like, that's a thing right now. Like, that's a sales pitch, right? Like, I'm going to show you how to make your phone make you so much money. The problem is, is like when those things turn sour and that money that you invest goes away, right? Like one of the things I always thought was interesting about this is there's a big difference between investing uh, wisely uh, and then gambling. And one of the ways you know the difference right out of the get-go is when people say, don't ever put anything into this that you're not willing to lose. That's called gambling, Right? And people gamble, they, they try to make it sound awesome, like I'm investing in the stock market. Well, you're gambling mostly in the stock market. Know what you're up to and know what you're actually doing, right? And so these things go on. Uh, Solomon says in uh, Ecclesiastes 5, he says, those who love money will never have enough. How meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. How meaningless to think wealth is what brings true happiness. And he just talks about how the people that have money, that that is their thing, loving money. It's like a bottomless, it's like a hole, uh, a bucket with a hole in it that just no matter how much they put in, they're never satisfied, they're never happy. It's always about more, 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 more. Jesus warned about the very same type of things. When it came to greed and money, in Luke chapter 12, he said, uh, then he said, beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. And then he told him a story. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced uh, fine crops. And he said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. And then he said, I know, I'll tear down uh, my barns and build bigger ones. And then I'll have enough room to store all my wheat and other goods. And I'll sit back and then I'll say to myself, self, you have enough stored up for years to come. Now take it easy. Go eat, drink, and be merry, right? But God said to him, you fool, you will die this very night. And then who's going to get everything that you worked for? Yes, a rich person, or, or yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. And so he's like trying to help us understand right out of the gate, like beware of what? Greed. Beware of greed, storing up for yourself, being overly concerned with your future. How your bank account looks, how your retirement plan looks, like being, be aware of being overly concerned with that. And the litmus test where you always have got to come back to and kind of balance it out because you guys need to understand this. This is not an indictment on having money in the bank. This is not an indictment on having wealth. 
This is not an indictment on having plenty to live on after you retire. The, the challenge is Jesus is so aware of the problems that come when our money and our assets and our resource increase, it always fights to pull us away from God's good life. It doesn't have to, but there is this just rudimentary problem that comes when we can supply for all of our own needs and make our own plan, take care of our own life, and we don't need God. And so there's this big challenge that comes with it, that comes with big warnings from Jesus of like, beware, be careful, recognize how hard it is to be in the kingdom when you're wealthy. And he says the litmus test is, on the other side, is that are you rich in your relationship with God? And so if you can think back to seasons in your life where you were really driven, maybe for those of you that are further along in uh, your journey, you look back and you can think about times where you're like, I'm going to make this, I'm going to build this thing, acquire this thing, build this business, have this much money in the bank, get these many investments, buy this real estate, this whatever your thing was, where you were just like all in driven to acquire it, to build it, to attain it, to succeed. Can you say about yourself in that season that people would describe you as rich in your relationship with God? And greed has a way of pulling us away from the thing that that Jesus says is treasure. His kingdom citizenship, knowing what it means to have our safety and security and our and a rich relationship with God. And so that's kind of like the the warning light on the car that's saying that the, you're running low on oil and you're about to blow the engine up. If you keep going the way you're going, like something's not going to work. Your car's going to stop running. Like you need to use as a litmus test, am I rich in my relationship with God? And if you can look at yourself and ask some people around you, and the answer is a resounding, no, I don't really think so. I wouldn't have any reason to believe that. You just had a warning light go off on your dash that you need to address, or the way you're going is going to lead to the motor blowing up, spiritually speaking, right? Things aren't going to work right. Jesus calls it out pretty clear in John 10.10. He says, the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy, and my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. In other translations, it says that Jesus came to give them life and life most abundantly. I like the NLT because I I love that language because it just says it real practically. Um, That Jesus, Jesus says, my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. And somehow for me, that just rings so true to what God the Father's plan always was from the beginning. In the beginning, God designed and purpose built a good life plan for people that he put in creation. And then, and then, Along comes Jesus later and calls us back to that and says, and says, now there's something that he came for. And his purpose is to like redeem people and restore them back to this rich and satisfying life. It was what God always had wanted for everybody all along. And when we start to hear about this idea of like, what is a rich and satisfying life? What does that actually look like? Like, what did Jesus mean when he said, that he wanted to give us this abundant life. First of all, one of the things you've got to be aware of is that it's countercultural. It's not going to probably sound a whole lot like 
the life that the world says is the good life, right? When we live in a world where the, the top messaging about the way to pursue the good life is that it's wealth acquiring for yourself, spending on yourself, making yourself happy, storing up for yourself, like that's the top messaging out there about how to have a good life. It gets wrapped up and intertwined with money and influence and power and resources for you. The other messaging out there that has permeated our culture for years and years, particularly in uh, America, uh, it is such a huge, huge thing that permeates families and kids is from the time they're little, parents are programmed in the world that we live in to communicate to kids that in order for you to get the good life, And even when they're not saying it with their mouths, they're saying it with their actions by what they value as important and what they put their time and money and energy into because they're saying, like, the only way for my kid to ever grow up and be happy is if they absolutely do amazing in school. They have to get the right kind of grades. They have to get the right kind of tests. They have to get the right kind of sports to get the right kind of skills to learn the right things, to go to the right college, to get the right kind of education so that they'll be able to get the job they need, and it all boils down to, all of it boils down to so that they have enough money to be happy. That's really the end game. And it's just so at odds with God's good life that he has in mind, with the rich and satisfying life that Jesus came to offer. You may or may not have money in your bank. But God promises to provide for us. He he gives us these examples like look at the lilies of the field that are clothed in majesty. And you're going to worry about whether or not you've got enough? Like, do you know who I am? God's a God that will look out for you, that will provide for you abundantly. One of the ways that Jesus answered this question of like, what is this rich and satisfying life? Like, how do you actually go about getting it? Like, what do you actually do? There was Pharisees and religious leaders of the day who were constantly trying to trap Jesus and to try and figure out which side he landed on so that they could point out the flaws. They could find something to argue at odds with him, right? And so they came to him one time, and I think this is one most of us are familiar with, but it's, it's, it is critically important to keep coming back to this when we want to figure out, like, how do we live the good life? In Matthew twenty two thirty four, it says, The Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees with, this reply, or with his reply, and they met together to question him again. And one of them, an expert in religious law, tried to trap him with a question. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? And Jesus replied, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and a second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. And the entire law and the demands of the prophets are based on these two commands. And I want to kind of pull that picture forward into the world that we're living in right now. If you took the top 
influencers of the world right now, the people that have the most followers on Instagram, the most listeners on YouTube and viewers on YouTube, the top media spokespeople right now, and they were all trying to pin Jesus down to figure out, all right, so you're offering this rich, abundant life. Like, supposedly, if we do it your way, whatever your way is, if we do it your way, it's going to be so good. All right, let's hear it, buddy. How do we do it? Now, here's the thing. Just like the Pharisees and Sadducees of the day, the same thing would happen with the world that we're living in right now. People ask that question of Jesus, but they ask it with this hidden agenda. They're listening with ears to find out what he's saying so that they can decide what side he's on. Is he more conservative? Is his good life plan all conservative? Is his good life plan more liberal? Is his good life plan, uh, you know, land in sort of this camp or this camp? And here's why they always want to know. They want to know, like, I'm trying to figure out what bent he has politically or religiously so that I can figure out the ways I can argue against it and say that his plan, oh, here's all the ways that the other, you obviously have excluded all these things, which proves why your plan's not the best. They're listening to find out what's wrong with it. And I think Jesus would answer the, the influencers of the day and the top leaders and thinkers of the day the same way he answered the, fair, the Pharisees then, as he would just say, hey, listen, I am so glad. Could you imagine those, to, to, to see Jesus here today and have the top leaders of the world ask him, if your way is so good, how would you go about it? That'd be Jesus' favorite question ever to answer. I'm so glad you asked. Let me tell you, I actually have a really good answer for that. I think it's the right one, the right way to have the, the good life that God has in store for you. The, the, in fact, the best way to go about this, to have this rich and satisfying life that I'm offering anybody that will follow me, is he would say, you just need to love God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and all of your mind. And in the same way, there's this other thing that connects to it, and it has a lot to do with how you treat each other. Really, you need to love each other the same way you love yourself. This is the path back to this rich and satisfying life that Jesus offers. When we put our faith and trust in him, the step one down the path that leads to God's good design and God's good plan for us is loving God with all we've got and then putting it into practice in our everyday life with the people around us, loving them the way that we love ourselves. These are the things that we do. And one of the challenges we have is that um, so many of the things, so many of the competing voices that offer, that try to clamor for a different way that's not God's way, that money gets so intertangled up in with it. And so Jesus does address a lot of issues with money about be careful about greed. It's difficult for a rich person to enter the kingdom. He goes on to say that it's better to give than receive, kind of like Solomon understood, like hoarding hurts the saver. Giving blesses the giver, right? Like it's better to have a stewardship mindset of resources and wealth and income coming in, but it's like, how do I use them? God, Jesus went on and on and on about parables, about the parable of the talents. The one that got chastised was the one that hoarded and hid the talent and didn't use it for anything. It was like that those that were blessed were the ones that put that stuff to work to better the kingdom, to better the interests of their person that gave them the resource. 
And so we're going to spend some time in this series really diving in and unpacking more of what the good life looks like, the good life that God offered us, and how does that life look for us today? I think a lot of us know that when somebody tries to understand counterfeit money and stuff, and they're in the business of like knowing what a counterfeit is, the thing that they always study is the original. They always are experts at the actual document, so that they easily notice the things that are not right about it. They don't spend time studying the fakes. They always spend time studying the original. And so in this series, we're going to unpack for a, for a few weeks. We're going to spend some time digging into the original. What is the, what is the good life that God offers? What does that actually look like for us? How do we walk it out? How do we live it? What would it look like? So that when all these other competing options vie for our attention and try to pull us to a different path, we're like, yeah, it doesn't sound like the one I know. Like, this is the right one. Like, it's easy to spot a fake when it's trying to pull you off the path. And so we'll have some fun trying to dive into that. And I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to it. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us by going to rlcpullman.com or by following us on Facebook or YouTube. Until next time, have a great week.